Good morning and Happy New Year. Jane Pauley is off today. I'm Bill Whitaker, and this is Sunday Morning. Today is the day for New Year's resolutions. And if one of yours is to embark on unconventional travel, you could do worse than follow the lead of two authors we'll be introducing you to this morning. Serena Altschul will report our cover story. Hoping to spend your new year doing a little exploring? This adventurous duo might have just the travel guide for you. Some of my favorite places look really mundane, but in fact have this incredible story. Discovering the world's weird and wonderful places ahead this Sunday morning. The story of Debbie Reynolds and Carrie Fisher, the mother-daughter Hollywood stars who died just one day apart this past week, touched people all over the world. And that definitely includes our Mo Rocca. I have a delicious surprise. Debbie Reynolds was one of Hollywood's brightest and most enduring stars. I just feel that you don't give up. And if you get a blow, you go on. What the hell are you doing? Somebody has to save our skins. Carrie Fisher was one of her generation's brightest and keenest observers. What I say is if my life wasn't funny, it would just be true, and that's unacceptable. (laughs) Ahead this Sunday morning, remembering mother and daughter, Debbie Reynolds and Carrie Fisher. We're saying hail and farewell to many another notable this New Year's morning. Jane Pauley will be doing the honors. We are the music makers, and we are the dreamers of dreams. They made us laugh and sing. Helped us dream. Who's the greatest? And changed our world. Oh, that view is tremendous. Ahead, hail and farewell. Life does go on, of course, thanks in no small part to the local doctor of whom it can truly be said, he delivers. Martha Teichner will have his story. This is what a thousand people look like. Now try to imagine ten times as many. That's how many babies the man all these people are here to celebrate has delivered in Charlottesville, Virginia. I didn't pick you. You guys picked me. You chose me to be part of your family and to be part of your most special event of having a baby. I had this Sunday morning. What happened when he said, enough is enough? Steve Hartman has the story of a hug that put a man's life back on track. Connor Knighton reflects on a year on the trail. And all through the morning, we'll be taking stock of the year gone by. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. It's the mysterious name of a guide to some of the world's most unusual places, Atlas Obscura. Our cover story is reported by Serena Altschul. Oh, wow. 
Careful. <laughs> Josh Foer and oh, Dylan Thuris can usually be found looking for adventure. What we'll do is we'll let you be in here without any sound and without any light. But today, they're just looking for some peace and quiet. See you on the other side. And they've come to the right place. You really can't hear every single minor sound, like as clear as a bell. Used to test the volume of a wide range of products, this room at Orfield Labs in Minnesota is about 16 times quieter than the silence at your local library. All right, gentlemen, time to come out. Which makes it the quietest place on Earth. We can hear each other swallow across the room. You can hear your eyebrows move. You can hear your scalp go like, you're like, ah. After that experience, it changes your perception of the world. You think about your own body and sound totally differently. Which is exactly their mission, to make people think about the world differently. The world's quietest room is just one of more than 600 obscure and unique spots featured in their new book, Atlas Obscura, an explorer's guide to the world's hidden wonders. We try and highlight stuff in the world that makes you feel like the world is a bigger, weirder, more wonderful place than you imagine. The book is an offshoot of their website. Founded in 2009, it's an online encyclopedia of weird and wondrous places that gets more than 5 million visitors each month. We always joke that the Eiffel Tower could never be in Atlas Obscura, but there's a little room at the top of the Eiffel Tower that Gustav Eiffel built as a secret place to entertain guests. Like, that's Atlas Obscura. But it was the website's vast network of users that submitted many of the book's most awe-inspiring destinations. Is there one that was really surprising to you? The wonderful thing is they come in every day. I remember the first time somebody submitted The Gates of Hell in the middle of the Turkmenistan desert. Yeah. This giant flaming hole in the ground that was created through an industrial accident in the, what, 1970s? Closer to home, they found an organ unlike any you've heard before. Virginia's great stalactite organ. This guy took an entire cave, attached little mallets to different stalactites and stalagmites, and set it up to play them. And so when he plays the organ, the entire cave was played as a musical instrument. And you can still go, and they still play the, play the cave for you. So if it's blinking, what does that mean? Josh and Dylan, being an intrepid pair, discover many of the sites themselves. While exploring South America in 2010, they walked across one of the last Incan grass bridges. And they hiked to the top of Gacta Falls. The Peruvian waterfall wasn't even on any maps until 2006, when it was measured and found to be the third tallest in the world. Got a chance to talk to villagers. What they said was, you know, we knew it was amazing, we knew it was beautiful, but we just didn't have any sense that it could be that amazing relative to everything else that might exist in the world. In a way, that's like the lesson of Atlas Obscura. What are the wonders all around us that we don't take 
the time to acknowledge and celebrate and revel in what are the waterfalls that we're missing. And they're betting that by highlighting those wonders, they'll prove that the world still has plenty of surprises. Everybody's curious about the world. Sometimes they just need like a little spur to actually go out and explore. And hopefully we are giving people that spur. Next, 2016. A look back. We all lived through quite a year during 2016. Here's a look back, month by month. In January, Michigan declared a state of emergency in the city of Flint, following the detection of elevated levels of lead in children. A switch in the city's water supply caused lead to leach from old pipes. February saw the death of Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia at age 79. Today I am nominating Chief Judge. The Republican-controlled Senate declined to act on President Obama's nomination of Judge Merrick Garland as Scalia's successor. In March, ISIS claimed responsibility for back-to-back -back bombings at the Brussels airport and subway that killed 32 people. On April 21st, Queen Elizabeth marked her 90th birthday, although the full-scale public celebration wasn't held until June. In May, NASA announced its Kepler Space Telescope had discovered 1,284 new planets in distant solar systems. That brings the total number of discovered planets to more than 3,200. June saw the mass shooting at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando. I don't know where my son is. No one can tell me where my son is. Gunman Omar Mateen shot and killed 49 people and wounded 53 others before dying in a shootout with police. In July, a hot air balloon caught fire after hitting power lines and crashed in Texas, killing all 16 people on board. It is really hot today. This past August checked in as the hottest August on record. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration says the average worldwide temperature was one and two-thirds degrees Fahrenheit higher than the 20th century average. We are extremely fortunate and grateful that nobody was killed. In September, a bomb exploded on a busy New York City street, injuring 29 people. Suspect Ahmed Khan Rahami, an Afghan-born U.S. citizen, was arrested after a shootout with police in New Jersey. In October, Hurricane Matthew struck the southeastern coast from Florida to North Carolina, forcing an estimated 2 million evacuations and killing at least 26 people. November brought Donald Trump's defeat of Hillary Clinton in the presidential election. He won a clear victory in the Electoral College while losing the popular vote by almost 2.9 million votes. While in December, a fire at an Oakland, California warehouse filled with cluttered artist studios killed 36 people. Next. Oh. <laughs> 
special deliveries. He delivers, or at least a very busy Virginia doctor did deliver before calling it quits at midnight. Just how busy was he? Martha Teichner will show us. Counting down, Jessica Turner was number 23. When she arrived at Centara Martha Jefferson Hospital in Charlottesville, Virginia, around 8 p.m. You okay walking? Yeah, right. All right. Turner was met by her obstetrician, Dr. Edward Wolanski. I need a chair. Okay, all right, let me get you a wheelchair. Following this delivery... You want to try pushing with the next contraction? Let's see what happens. He would have 22 left. Hard to push, you can do it. You got it. He would go out with the old year. Come on, Jesse, you can do it. You're almost done, promise. No more deliveries. <laughs> After December 31st. Beautiful. All right, beautiful. Oh, my God. All right, Jessica. Oh, my God. <laughs> Jessica Turner giving birth to a girl at 918 on October 4th. Look how poor they are. So our family's complete. Got my boy and my girl. Do you have a name? Yeah, this is JL. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Wolanski delivered her 19-month-old son, too. Well, that's your sister. So, Gotta take care of her, man. Yeah. So when Turner and her husband discovered that he was retiring from the obstetrics part of his practice, they panicked momentarily. I was like, please, Lord, let him, you know, just do us this one favor and deliver this baby. Cold. Have you any idea how many babies you've delivered? Well, I know it's over 10,000, but I can't tell you the exact number. You heard right. More than 10,000 babies. I think I tried to look at it and say, all right, if we take all these 10,000 and put them in a stadium, think how many people that would be. The little town that I came from had 10,000 people. So I'm thinking of, oh my goodness, you know, that's how I look at that number. It's from, he delivered my whole town. Do you guys know the next steps and everything? Wolanski's wife, Cindy, runs his office. Approximately. Yeah, so we'll just get her to come. Call it a mom-and-pop operation. Wolanski is a solo practitioner, a rarity in today's medical landscape. And then you feeling the baby move pretty regularly now? Yes. Nice, normal heartbeat. He sees these women from start to finish. Sounds perfect. Just show me where that discomfort is when you're having it. No handoff to a stranger at the hospital. All right, I'm going to just measure here. Make sure we're okay. He's really calming. He's been with my family a long time. He delivered my youngest sister. So he was, my mom was a patient of his. He delivered both of Brett Baker's other children. Right. Good to see you. You Thank too. You. All right, thanks, I tell him he was the first person to touch you guys, to hold you guys. He gave you to me. And good to see you again. Good to see you too. All right, good deal. It is the relationship he develops with each of his patients that explains their intense devotion, especially when things go wrong. The first time we met him, actually, we were in the throes of a miscarriage, and it was our first, so it was pretty emotional. And he immediately showed a lot of compassion and care. Which gave Mary Elizabeth and Case Luzar the confidence to try again through three more miscarriages. Everybody here has always been so welcoming. They know us, they know our story. So we're not just kind of nameless faces when we walk through the door. Wolanski figures he's handled four to 5,000 miscarriages in his more than 30-year career. Is the flip side of that 
incredible joy that you experience. Are you crushed? Are you heartbroken? Absolutely. Yeah, it's very painful sometimes. But, you know, it's just part of life. He eventually delivered the Luzar's daughter, Adele, now four and a half. Hey guys, good to see you. And gave in when they begged him to stay on to deliver their next child. He is as much a part of the pregnancy and delivery as, as our family. As for Helen Cahoon, her third pregnancy was actually planned around him. Never gets old. When we found out Dr. Walansky was retiring from that side of things, we got straight to it, tried to get pregnant so we could sneak in. What? <laughs> yeah, it was, it's that Are important. It's now or never. Your baby will be the last. <laughs> it is the honor of honors. <laughs> At the start of his career, Dr. Walansky tried group practice, but pretty quickly decided solo practice was more satisfying. It's harder. It, oh, it's definitely harder. You, you have to be available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. If somebody calls you up at 3 in the morning and says they're in labor, you don't have to look for a chart. You know who they are. You know what their situation is. What is the largest number of births that you've had to juggle in the same time? I did 10 deliveries in probably um, eight hours once. Luckily, he's one of those people who only needs three or four hours of sleep a night, which means somehow... <laughs> there you go. There you go. He manages to spend time with Cindy. Oh Good boy. Good boy. And their two grown sons. And to ride his Harley. And just another hobby I wanted to pick up to kind of fill my free time. Tend his bees. And come on. Run. He took up running marathons at 50. Now at 60, he's run 25. So, when his patients wanted to pay tribute to the doctor they consider family, holding a two-mile charity run in his name was a no-brainer. Thanks for your amazing commitment to our community and to your excellent care of moms and babies and families. Here was the largest gathering of Wolanski babies and their parents ever. We gotta get running. He's ready to run. <laughs> Everybody's ready to go. <laughs> Thank you. Mm -hmm. This is what Dr. Walansky treasures. To get us in there. And will miss. If you walk Thank a run you. today. I walk. That's all right. That's fine. It's just good to be out here, isn't it? Thank you, <laughs> This is not about me at all. It's about you. You know, I didn't pick you. You guys picked me. You know, I, you chose me to be part of your family and to be part of your most special event of having a baby. At the end of the run, minutes after this picture was taken, Brett Baker went into labor. And Dr. Walansky delivered her second boy. Then he had 13 deliveries left. By the time Mary Elizabeth Luzar gave birth to a second daughter, on November 18th, the count was down to nine. Good to see you. <laughs> yeah, right you ready to do this? Yeah. And Helen Cahoon? <laughs> she was indeed last. The honor of honors. <laughs> there you go. All right, Helen, Helen. Look down, Helen. Helen, there you go. And that was that. <laughs> Good job. Just like a movie with a happy ending. 
This is Freya Louise Wolanski Cohoon. Did you catch that name? Freya Louise Wolanski Cahoon? This is Dr. Wolanski. <laughs> a fitting tribute to a moment. Sweet and sad. It was just nice that we could be the last one together. Thank I appreciate you. that. Thank, Thank you. you. At the same time. Nice job. Thanks. I have a delicious surprise. All I do is Coming up, two women. What the hell are you doing? Somebody has to save our skins. Larger than life. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. We're on the road to somewhere and you meet anyone you know it's me. I'm gonna move. Debbie Reynolds seemed unstoppable and yes, unsinkable in the 1964 film The Unsinkable Molly Brown. In the end, it took nothing less than the death of her daughter, Carrie Fisher, to bring her down. Mo Rocca has an appreciation, times two. That Debbie Reynolds died just one day after her daughter, Carrie Fisher, is somehow both shocking and poignant. Todd Fisher said about his mother's passing, she wanted to be with Carrie. Look, look, look. Debbie and Carrie lived right look, next door to each other. Look. I just came up to clean the fountain. Our Rita Braver paid them a visit back in 2004. What did you think when your mother said, oh, by the way, honey, I'm buying the house down the driveway from you? I tried to litigate. <laughs> she called me about the house. She said, mother, the man just died down the, down, and I said, should I go to the funeral? She said, no, you should buy the house. But a good part of what made them so captivating as a pair was what seemed to be their differences. Will you please tell me what is this awful thing I did to you when you were a child? Dramatized in Carrie's thinly veiled novel turned movie, Postcards from the Edge. Remember my 17th birthday party when you lifted your skirt up in front of all those I people, did not lift my guy skirt, Michael. it twirled up! And you weren't wearing any underwear. Well. If you only knew Debbie and Carrie from their screen work, really like my you'd think that they were from different, well, galaxies. Some rescue. You came in here, didn't you have a plan for getting out? Each epitomized her generation. What the hell are you doing? Somebody has to save our skins. I have a delicious surprise. Debbie Reynolds was one of the brightest stars during Hollywood's golden age of movie musicals. Hers was the school of whatever you do, keep on smiling. My entire life, I have always uh, fought back. And I just feel that you don't give up. And if you get a blow, you go on. The story of how she was discovered sounds like the plot to an MGM musical. She was competing in a local beauty pageant when she was spotted by a movie studio talent scout, as she told me in 2013. They had a screen test, and there was a camera there, and they said, look in the camera. And I said, so, okay. And they said, now just talk, just ad lib. I said, why would I do that? I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing here. This is all so silly. And uh, they said, well, you want to be a movie star, don't you? 
And I said, no, I don't know anything about it. I don't want to be a star. I don't want to be a movie star. I can't possibly be a movie star. So Jack Warner saw the test and he said, well, she's funny. Sure, let's put her under contract, $65 a week. Two years later, she was singing in the rain with Donald O'Connor and Gene Kelly. You're 20 years younger than Gene Kelly, and you'd had no dance training? No, no, I had no training of any kind. Good morning, good morning. It's great to stay up late. Debbie was the ultimate trooper. So we dance 10 and 12 hours every day. There's no days off. Just to give viewers a sense, of how much work this was. You say your feet were bleeding. I mean, what else hurt? I think your heart hurt. Could you keep up? Were you going to fail? And, and Gene Kelly kind of scared me because he was the boss and he was brilliant and he was a wonderful teacher. He had to teach me and to be given a little kitty cat and expected to be a lion. It didn't happen overnight, and, there, and I had to work, work, work without question. Wish I knew if he Debbie Reynolds didn't just play innocent, she was innocent, said her son Todd. Tell me, tell me, tell All those early movies, man, Tammy and all that, shoot, that's just her. That's just, that really was That's as, just her. As, I don't want to say naive, but, but as... But she is a innocent, you right. know, she's a true innocent. I should have expected to find you holding Vader's leash. I recognized your foul stench when I was brought on board. On the other hand, her daughter, Carrie Fisher, was all about candor and not masking the pain. It's good to see you, sweetheart. You contemptible pig. And finding the humor in the vicissitudes of her very unusual life. Now, I was born in Burbank, California, to simple folk. <laughs> she was the child of a global scandal when her father, crooner Eddie Fisher, left Debbie for Elizabeth Taylor. The best thing Elizabeth Taylor did for me was to get Eddie Fisher out of our house. After becoming internationally famous as Princess Leia in Star Wars, she was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. My mother wants you all to know, this comes from my father's side. <laughs> and then she began writing. You probably are the only person in the world who could make going off on a sort of a manic depressive swing and ending up in a mental institution funny? It better be funny. Otherwise, that, what, what I say is if my life wasn't funny, it would just be true, and that's unacceptable. <laughs> Carrie Fisher saved herself and helped a whole lot of other people by writing. Everything worked out very well in books. Much more organized and ordered than everything out here. The differences between mother and daughter were real enough that they didn't talk for nearly 10 years. But what always struck me about them wasn't just that they loved each other, but that they really liked each other. What I figured out is I don't have to turn into my mother if she lives next door. They may have come of age in two starkly different decades, 
the 1950s and the 1970s. But these two women got each other. The reason she can write so many books is because of me. Uh-huh. Because you have given her so much material? Mm-hmm. And she continue to do great so. for material. So let's tell the world about it now. Both enormous talents. Both extraordinarily nice. likable and funny. Happy days Both of them unsinkable. Hi, sweetheart. Come in. Come in. Coming up. So how's my sweetie, huh? New lease on life. Well, I knew I was going to get a hook. (laughs) When better than this day for new beginnings to consider the hug that turned one man's life around? Here's Steve Hartman. Not long ago, in a cemetery outside Augusta, Georgia, a loving couple was buried. The wife buried below this white bouquet. The husband buried above, in a mound of grief. Took me totally by surprise. 82-year-old Dan Peterson says after Mary died, he fell into a deep depression. He had no purpose? No. Were you just waiting to die? Yeah. For six months, it was just that bad. And then one day you go to a grocery store. It all changed inside this Publix. Dan was nearing the end of the canned vegetable aisle. He hates grocery shopping, and by all accounts, the expression on his face confirmed his aggravation. But that's when this unapproachable man was approached by a four-year-old girl named Nora Wood. In the security footage, you can see Nora randomly reaching out to him. Her mom, Tara, says it was quite embarrassing. She said, hi, old person, it's my birthday today. Yeah. And then had the audacity to ask for a hug. I said, a hug? I said, absolutely. (laughs) Nora got her hug and then asked her mom to take a picture of her with her new friend. She just wanted to make him feel loved and give him a hug. And his little lip quivered and it was just sweet. And I said, you don't know. This is the first time for quite a while that I've been as happy. That all happened back in September, and his grin has only gotten wider since. Hi, sweetheart. Come in. Come in. Today, Nora visits at least once a week. So how's my sweetie, huh? And every time, it's the grocery store all over again. I knew I was going to get a hook. Their last visit was over Christmas. He got her some dress-up clothes, and she got him a gallery of framed photos. It's a bridge. It's a bridge. Oh, okay. By the way, Dan does have grandkids of his own, but they're grown and gone. And Nora does have grandparents. But her mom says this is a completely different kind of bond that almost defies explanation. She fell asleep holding a picture of them. I, I, what? <laughs> to Dan, it's equally miraculous, but far less mysterious. He believes Nora is, quite literally, an angel. She opened me to a love that I didn't know existed. Do you feel like you have a purpose now? Of course. Nora, I know I made room in my heart for a lot more.
still to come. Hail and farewell. It's Sunday morning on CBS, and here again is Bill Whitaker. We have already paid our respects to Debbie Reynolds and Carrie Fisher. Time now to say hail and farewell to some of the others we lost during 2016. Jane Pauley left us this tribute. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to get through this thing called life. Like a preacher to his flock, Prince spread a gospel of music, bursting with love, funk, and soul. He was a self-taught virtuoso who wrote countless songs. These are like my children, and they uh, uh, will be all that will be left uh, upon my departing of this uh, experience. In his life, he maintained an aura of mystery. And at 57, he left us this past year. He left us wanting more. You never really understand a person until you consider things from his point of view. Sir? Till you climb inside of his skin. And walk, walk around, around in it. it. To Kill a Mockingbird by author Harper Lee. The novel, her first, won the Pulitzer Prize in 1960. The movie adaptation starring Gregory Peck is a film classic to this day. A lot of us walked around in the skin of Lee's characters who lived in a fictional southern town that really could have been anywhere. I always felt that if I told the story of the South, I'd tell the history of the whole world. Author Pat Conroy left us in 2016. Among his novels, The Prince of Tides and The Great Santini, both about families. You know, I always think literature is much better when there's a love-hate relationship. Other parents aren't lying, Ma. They believe in their children. No, they don't. As an overly involved parent on Everybody Loves Raymond, everybody loved Emmy-winning mom Doris Roberts. Mama tried to raise me better, but her pleading I denied. That leaves only me to blame, cause Mama tried. Merle Haggard sang about his mother, but he was no mama's little angel. The more I went to jail, the more I learned about being uh, an outlaw. Convicted for burglary as a young man, Haggard spent time in San Quentin. I'm proud to be an from then mined his life story for his songs and became a legend. Some other music giants left us during the year. You wonder why the earth still moves. You wonder how you carry on, but you'll be okay 
on that first day when I'm gone. I like to teach the world to sing, sing with me. man Bill Backer. He was the real thing. He wrote jingles for Coca-Cola, taglines for Campbell's Soup, and remember this one? You've got the time. We've got the beer. To all beef, patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. Jim Delegati didn't write the jingle for the Big Mac. He cooked up the recipe. Billions have been served since. You've got mail. Raymond Tomlinson. He knew where it's at. He put the at sign in our email addresses. In countless photographs, Bill Cunningham turned the people of New York into trendsetting models. The best fashion show is definitely on the street. Always has been and always will be. But it was on catwalks where designer James Galanos showed his style. Times change, people change, looks change, but uh, good taste is the most important thing. The President of the United States and Mrs. Reagan. And it may be that no one wore Galanos better than this woman. First Lady Nancy Reagan. She left us this past year. She was known for being President Reagan's closest advisor. Uh, I think there's always a certain jealousy, if that's the word you want to use, uh, of the one who's closest to the president. And obviously the one who's closest is his wife, or should be. <laughs> Hope. <laughs> After the president's diagnosis with Alzheimer's, Mrs. Reagan became an important supporter of stem cell research. I just don't see how we can turn our backs on this. A stance at odds with some of her fellow Republicans. Well, I think the pro-lifers are the vitality, the enthusiasm, and the heart and soul of the Republican Party. Conservative Phyllis Schlafly battled fiercely for her causes. I attack ideas. I don't attack people. And some very good people have some very bad ideas. <laughs> and, and if you can't separate the two, you've got to get another day job. Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia. He, too, was a vibrant conservative voice. I could be charming and combative at the same time. What's, what's, what's contradictory between the two? I love to argue. It may well be that I'm something of a shin kicker. A fighter who could also be engagingly warm as a colleague and friend. Those who tried to put us in jail have gone to prison themselves while we are still here! Activist Tom Hayden fought for the other side. He was a leader of the civil rights and anti-war movements of the 1960s. This is the beginning of the end. This is the beginning of the climax of the war in Southeast Asia. Fidel Castro, at the age of 32, you now have in your hands a great deal of power and a great deal of responsibility. Fidel Castro was a leader of the Cuban resistance in the 1950s, who became a dictator in the 60s, and who would live 
to haunt 11 U.S. presidents. Viva la revolución! Viva! Si Cuba! Some admired him. Others feared and even fled him. It is time for this little boy who has been through so much to be with his father. It was then Attorney General Janet Reno who made the controversial decision to send one young refugee, Elian Gonzalez, back to Cuba. General Reno, Reno was our first woman Attorney General, and she served while grappling with Parkinson's. Through it all, Janet Reno never compromised her ideals. Nor did Muhammad Ali. Who's the greatest? He was a three-time world heavyweight boxing champion. Born Cassius Clay, Ali changed his name when he converted to Islam. Cassius Clay is a name no more, is that right? Yes, sir. It's Muhammad Ali. Muhammad means worthy of all praises, and Ali means most high. In the he became a polarizing figure for his religious beliefs and his refusal to fight in the Vietnam War. So whatever suffering or punishment I may have to take, it'll all be because of my religion. But he would later be admired as much for fighting for his convictions as for fighting in the ring. Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Oh, rumble, young man, rumble. Oh. I've been punished a lot of times, so there's a great possibility something could be abnormal. He too was afflicted with Parkinson's, but Muhammad Ali put up the good fight until the end. The line is perfect. He's got it. Arnold Palmer, golf's first superstar. Then out of the blue comes a thunderbolt. He popularized not only the game, but the iced tea and lemonade drink that bears his name. We raise a glass to Arnold Palmer. And to these other sports legends we lost in the year gone by. That's Leonard Cohen. He left us last year at age 82. Cohen was already a poet and novelist when he released his first record. We'll remember his deep voice and powerful songs. The most dangerous drug in rock and roll is applause. That seemed to be the one that got me the most jacked up. And there was plenty of applause for Glenn Fry, co-founder of the Eagles. Do you remember when it was and we remember Maurice White, creator and leader of Earth, Wind and Fire, a name inspired by the stars 
or at least his stars. The elements in my charts is, is earth, air, and fire. On the subject of stars, George Michael was a pop superstar. Just last week, we said goodbye to George Michael. I sincerely like to make people laugh and make them smile. Gary Marshall, he filled our lives with laughter. Creating sitcoms and directing rom-coms. <laughs> Nothing beats that, is seeing a whole bunch of audiences laugh and smile and have a good time. For all those happy days, We'll remember Gary Marshall. They only pretend to upload my song. What they really want is another glimpse of my broken heart. And Jaja. We'll remember Jaja Gabor for her glamorous lifestyle and many, many marriages. Patty Duke. She became a star on stage and screen as a child when she played Helen Keller. Yes. Oh, my dear. But she may be best remembered for those identical cousins on The Patty Duke Show. Patty? Yes, Papa? William Shallert played her dad. He left us last year, too. Here's the story of a lovely lady. And so did Florence Henderson, who headed television's most famous blended family. I created Carol Brady to be the mother that I always wished I'd had. I love you just as much as ever. We love you too, Mama. <laughs> dad! Hey, can we talk? Sure. And we lost another TV dad, Alan Thicke. And still more beloved television friends. I mean, the super was always the good guy, and he was always the hero. I know you've all been expecting Superman to make a personal appearance here, but Superman! Douglas Wombow for the defendant, Your Honor. Salutations to you and your fine staff. What kind of a name is Ed for a horse? What kind of a name is Wilbur for a man? <laughs> From the TV comedy Barney Miller, we said goodbye to both Ron Glass and Abe Vigoda. You won't believe this, but according to their records, I'm deceased. <laughs> it's, it's probably a mistake. Oh, look, beautiful. Wow, beautiful thing. <laughs> From Cool Hand Luke to the Naked Gun. Any other victims? Uh, you're standing on one right now. Oh. George Kennedy could do it all. I can teach you how to bewitch the mind and ensnare the senses. And Alan Rickman, 
known the world over as that professor of potions, Severus Snape, in the Harry Potter movies. What's your name? Well, my name is Jim. I'm Leo Bloom. I am an accountant. My name, it's pronounced Frankenstein. Of course, we knew him as Gene Wilder. But even that wasn't his real name. I didn't want to be introduced as Jerry Silverman. I couldn't see Jerry Silverman in Hamlet, in Macbeth. I said, it doesn't, the ring, it doesn't sound right. By any name, Gene Wilder was unforgettable. Come with me and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. I have no regrets. I've had a wonderful life, a charmed life, a great career. Just think. Yesterday, I was a meaningless little accountant, and today, I'm the producer of a Broadway flop. <laughs> Not so Edward Albee. He won three Pulitzer Prizes for his plays. His Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf is a classic. Oh, you really are a bastard. I? I? Yeah, you, sweetheart. No two people see the same play. The experience they bring, the enthusiasms they bring, what they wish to think about, what they don't want to think about. How many see the play that I wrote? Some. Not all. He stares down from the podium like some benevolent bird of prey, eyes staring past that great beak. Who could turn a phrase like our Morley Safer? He never held his fire, not when he was covering Vietnam. This is what the war in Vietnam is all about. Not when he set his sights on modern art. It's a, a, a white rectangle. Right. He's a minimal artist. and uh... I would say so. <laughs> <laughs> we loved having him in our homes almost as much as he loved being there. It is on rare days like this that you must ask, do they really pay me to do this? Yes. Good to see you. Thank you. Because when we talk about race in this country, we always talk about African Americans, people of color. I want to talk to you about white people. Okay. Journalist Gwen Ifill spoke truth to power in Washington. Issue one. And then there's John McLaughlin, the one-time priest who became a Washington pundit. He never missed a show in 34 years. I think there are very few entities that you can describe as embodying evil in this world. Uh, and I think the Khmer Rouge are one of them. Sidney Shanberg wrote about the fall of Cambodia to the Khmer Rouge. His reports won a Pulitzer Prize and inspired the movie, The Killing Fields. It just reminds us that uh, the genocide is just around the corner all the time. That it happens, it didn't end in World War II. The question was, why did I survive? Why I? Every survivor had that question, and every survivor is haunted by that question to this day. Elie Wiesel suffered the atrocities of the Holocaust and lived to tell. If Auschwitz couldn't cure the world of anti-Semitism, what could? And what can and what will cure the world? He won a Nobel Peace Prize for his legacy of books, museums, and memorials, reminding us to never forget.
And we will never forget our servicemen and women who died protecting our rights and freedoms during the year gone by. We thank them. And we'll remember David Bowie. His song spoke to millions. How can we forget his many stage personas and wild wardrobe? A lot of it just makes me laugh. <laughs> you seen those boots? His performances were quite simply out of this world. Which brings us to real-life Starman, John Glenn, the first American to orbit the Earth. Oh, that view is tremendous. On his return, he was given a hero's welcome. Years later, at age 77, he'd do it all over again. I know the word awesome gets overused these days, but if anything is really awesome, it's looking out from up here and seeing that... Uh, for the first time on a flight, it is truly awesome. Godspeed, John Glenn. They made us laugh. They made us cry. Many left us too soon. To all those who touched us with their words and deeds, in ways large and small, we are grateful. They graced our lives. Hail and farewell. Connor Knighton is winding up his year-long journey through our national parks. He's returned with a backpack full of picture postcards, along with some thoughts. I knew Yellowstone would be cold in the winter. Just how cold was a bit of a surprise. It was negative 34 degrees when I was there two weeks ago. But a smile would have been frozen on my face no matter what. America's first national park was my last stop on a year-long quest to visit every national park, all 59 of them. It's a journey that began with a hike in the dark, one year ago today. I joined a small group of strangers on the top of Cadillac Mountain at Acadia National Park in Maine to see the first rays of sun hit the contiguous United States. I wanted to get a head start on 2016, the 100th anniversary of the National Park Service. I knew I had a lot of ground to cover. Soon, I was underground at Mammoth Cave in Kentucky. Then underwater at Biscayne in Florida, walking across sand and soil from the lowest point in the United States to the base of our highest peak. The 59 national parks are spread out all across the country. And for most of the trip, I drove. It was always scenic, only sometimes scary. 
<laughs> when I did hop onto a plane, the change in landscape was even more dramatic. One week, I was marveling at lava in Hawaii. The next, I was in awe of a glacier in Alaska. Our country's natural beauty is as diverse as the people who live in it. Setting aside these places for the enjoyment of all was and is a uniquely American idea, and I've never felt prouder to be an American. It was certainly an interesting year to be crisscrossing the country. I spent plenty of time in red states and blue states. I saw a 1,500-foot-high wall that already exists on the Mexican border. I watched a debate in my hotel in American Samoa where the people I met can't even vote for the American president. Much has been made about how divided we are as a country. But you don't really feel that in the national parks. They're places where red and blue can come together, sometimes in the same vista. Naturalist John Muir once wrote, everybody needs beauty as well as bread. Places to play in and pray in, where nature may heal and give strength to body and soul. We may need that now more than ever. Fortunately, there's no shortage of cathedrals. You'll continue to see stories from the parks on this broadcast, but I encourage you to go out and see one for yourself this year. I've spent the last few days reflecting on the places, people, this is cupcake, and puppies <laughs> I've experienced along the way in 2016. I spent last night at Point Reyes National Seashore in California. On December 31st, it's where the sun sets last in the lower 48. I wanted to have the longest year possible because I have loved every second of it. Happy New Year and happy trails. I'm Bill Whitaker. We wish you and yours a very happy new year. And please join Jane Pauley here next Sunday morning.